Welcome to a little Juju podcast, baby. I'm your host, Juju Bay. This is the podcast all about black. That is B-L-A-C-K as spirituality, honoring our ancestors, ourselves, decolonizing our spiritual practices on our path to freedom because freedom, y'all, liberation, it starts in the spirit child. Again, my name is Juju Bay. I'm the host of this here lovely iHeartRadio nominated spirituality, best religion and spirituality podcast. <laughs> I come to the show as a hoodoo. As an Orisha devotee, a pete biso day gang gang, I'm a medium, a psychic, all around bad bitch, which you already know the vibes. And I'm so happy that you are here to listen to our Black History Month episode. Yay! Happy Black History Month. I'm black, y'all. I'm black, y'all. I'm blackity black. And I'm black, y'all. <laughs> Oh, child, I hope y'all's y'all's month is going as as um interesting as mine is. I am having a good Black History Month. It's it's a lot of energy moving. I don't know if y'all feel that, but just I think personally, communally, societally, it just feels like I don't know. It's I feel a shift coming, but we are in a year five, so this is the this is the energy of, of shifts and things moving and changing and ending and beginning. So maybe that's just what I feel like the the pre. I feel the pre that. <laughs> but but it's all good. I'm gonna talk a little bit about what's been going on in my life. But yes, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate y'all and let's get into the show. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. A little juju. A little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Can't firm no say. And I'll never get played. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my bay to make them stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped. Manifested everything, give me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. So in today's episode, we are, I'm not even going to call it a mini-sode because sometimes when I think an episode is going to be shorter, um, I end up talking longer than I usually do. <laughs> but today in our Black History slash Black Futures, Black Futures Month episode, I want to highlight a Black spiritualist, a Black woo-woo that's what I did last year. I really like kind of uplifting different conjurers and spiritualists in our communities. So I'm very excited to talk about um, who I'm going to be talking about a little bit later. Um, and I also want to just give a little Black History facts, which I think will be will be good to celebrate Black History slash Black Futures Month. 
So that's how the episode is going to go. I'm going to shout my patrons out, of course. And, yeah, we're going to get into our Black History Fact and then our, our, I guess, spiritual Black Spiritualist of the Month. I know I normally give you all a little bit of tea about what's going on, my lessons. I'm going to do that at the end because I think it... I think it makes sense at the end um, when I talk about our, I keep wanting to say special guest as if I'm about to interview <laughs> the, who I'm talking about. She's been dead a long time talking about interviewing somebody. But when I talk about Pamela Coleman, it, it flows in nicely with that. And so I'll, I'll give y'all a little bit of a window into my lessons of this past, of these past two weeks and, you know, what I've been experiencing and feeling and just all all the things. Um, but before I get into <laughs> donations, I do want to say this thing because it's funny. This morning, um, well, last night I went to sleep with a lot of anxiety because I just feel uneasy about the current path of i i don't want to say spirituality because that's a very loaded umbrella term but specifically when thinking about black spiritual traditions people in black spiritual traditions whether it's an ATR or a diasporic religion there just be like a lot of like mess you know, and I stay pretty clear of the mess because that's it. It don't be my mess, so child. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't my mess, child. Got mind your business. Got mind your business in these spiritual streets. But I just feel like the mess is compounding, and that it'll soon explode, implode. And it makes me very uneasy and uncomfortable. And it it makes me sad also because it's like there's so many people out here scamming. There's so many people out here who are fraudulent. There's so many people out here who are just slanderous. There's so many people out here who project. There's so many people out here who be lying. Like there's just so much mess. And I'm like, I just be sitting back like, yo, at the end of the day, how are we going to get free? Are we ever going to get free from the from the shackles? of niggatry and it made me really it just makes me kind of jaded sometimes like sometimes it's like I don't even want to be associated with this mess it's like it just feels like it's always something and people who are in the community know like and I know if you're listening to this and you don't have a spiritual house or you don't you're not really super in it you are like what are you, what are you talking about but for people who know or 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 who don't know you can just imagine how there can just be a lot of conflicting ideas, people, stuff, and then you're including spirit in it. So it, it can get super messy and just like, child, it just be a lot to witness and see. Um, Yeah, and experience on low levels. So I was like really annoyed this morning. I went to sleep with that anxiety and that on my spirit. And I woke up still anxious about it. Like, oh, I just want to disconnect. I don't even want to be a part of this. Like, I don't even know. Like, why? why did my you know, name get put out there rooted in spirituality. Like, ugh, it's just so messy. And I had a spirit come down to me. <laughs> it was a man. And he was country too. And he said, 
he just stopped me in the middle of my anxious thoughts. He said, niggas is going to be niggas is going to be niggas going to be niggas. And it was the most comforting thing I feel like I have heard in so long. And what he meant by that and after expounding was, he was like, it ain't got nothing to do with no spiritual community. It ain't got nothing to do with none of that. Niggas is going to be niggas. It, whether you are a spiritualist, whether you stayed in movement and organizing spaces as I used to be in, you know, or whether I worked for a goddamn on computer company or package packages at Amazon. If it's niggas there, it's going to be nigga shit. Okay? You can't escape it. You can't escape the nigga shit. If it's niggas there, it's going to be nigga shit. There's going to be the things that come up. There's going to be the projections. There's going to be all the unhealed trauma that we as niggas have that's very specific to niggas. So all of that unhealed mess, all of that trauma, all of that, it's just going to show its head no matter what space that we're in. And even though that might sound bleak, (laughs) I was fully comforted because I'm like, right, my gripe isn't with quote unquote spiritual spirituality. My gripe isn't with I'm upset that I'm just associated with so much drama and mess. Because no matter what I was associated with, child, I be joking around always saying I wish I could just be a manager at Chili's. If I was a manager at Chili's, I would be dealing with nigga shit. (laughs) And so I don't even, that, it's wild how much that was a word to me today, but it brought me so much comfort. Like, right, right, right. I'm dealing with my people. Okay. This is what happens no matter where I am. That's at that. That's what's going, that's what my people going to bring. And that's just what happens in communities of people. There is stuff. There's drama. There's things to work through. There's people committed to working through it, and there's people not. That's that's inescapable. And so I found peace with that. I found peace. I found peace in my work. I found peace in my place of work. I found peace with whatever this little feeling is in my spirit that I feel that feels uneasy and just weird. I'm at peace because it's just nigga shit. I'm just anticipating nigga shit and like, that's okay. So I don't know if anybody else needs to hear that word. No matter where you at right now in your life and you might be dealing with drama, it's okay. We're all dealing with mess and witnessing mess and being like, what is going on? And baby, I'm here to tell you, it's just nigga shit and that's okay. Because niggas going to be niggas going to be niggas. Um, shout out to all the non-niggas listening to this. Like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> Cause you listen to a nigga podcast. Okay. Shit. I hope you donate. Anyway, let's get into donations. See this hot. I start running my mouth. Let's get into, um, let's get into, yes. Patreon patrons and all the things. All you need is a little juju. Okay. So fun things in regards to donations. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to donate to a little juju podcast. Why would you want to donate, you ask? Because this podcast is not free to put out. I have to pay editors. I just bought some new software. So I hope that you all can tell. I'm sorry, not software, but um, 
like recording material. So I hope that you all can tell that the the quality is a little bit better. The girls have better mics. And that's because there are donations. It also just acknowledges the fact that, you know, I do research for you all. I talk to elders for you all. I do a lot and put my labor into it. And so ain't nothing free, child. Ain't nothing free. So there's a lot of ways to give back to the show if you feel like the show has given to you. One of the ways that I love to talk about is Patreon, which is a monetary donation where you can give monthly to a little juju podcast. And if you give a little bit more, you may have access to some of the offerings that I have. I've got ebooks up there, readings of the month, articles. I'm really going to get on my Patreon stuff this year. I'm telling y'all that now. Patreon is going to be the main place where I'm I'm spilling the tea because, you know, it's just time. I, I put a lot of labor and, and love into this podcast. And, uh, you know, I also want to feel poured into as I pour, right? And, and Patreon helps me feel that way. So if you feel so inclined, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash J-U-J-U-B-A-E and become a patron. And you can choose whatever amount you want to pay. It starts at $10, which is new. But you can pay less if, if you ain't got $10. Um, and it goes up to $50 a month and you get access to all the things. So shout out to all of my newest patrons. So big shout out to all my newest patrons. I really appreciate y'all who, who you know, upped your pledges and, and sticking around for the new Patreon vibe that we are curating. Shout out to Amira Moore for upping your pledge. Shout out to Am for upping your pledge. Shout out to Melanie for upping your pledge. Elizabeth, Jasmine, hey boo, thank you for upping your pledge. Jaded Jade upped your pledge. Thank you so much. Shout out to Simone Phillips, shout out to Thug Yoda, yes. Shout out to Aisha Edwards for upping your pledge. Shout out to Avery. I love Avery. Shout out to Gabrielle Del Bosque. Gabrielle Del Bosque, maybe. Thank you for upping your pledge, Gabrielle. Shout out to Allison for upping. Letitia Chisholm for upping. Uh, shout out to Daniela D for pledging. Ashley Holly for pledging. Malika Fudge. Kelly, Chanel Dev, Victoria Snowden for upping, Najee Watkins for becoming a patron. Shout out to Taryn for upping your pledge. Shout out to Alvi for up, Alvi Diggs for upping your pledge. Shout out to Barry Bronham for becoming a patron. Shout out to Kaja for becoming a patron. Raven Joyner for becoming a patron. Lauren Thomas. <gasps> Lauren! See, I know Lauren, and I did not know Lauren. Lauren! Thank you, Lauren. Shout out to Karen. Shout out to Carlin Wright. Shout out to Brittany Robinson for becoming a patron. Shout out to Amber Hurd for becoming a patron. Amissa Miller for upping your pledge. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't up your pledge, but you stayed a patron. Thank you for for staying a patron. Shout out to Sharice Madison for upping your pledge. Hey, PG. Shout out to you. PG paid for the gear, honey, period. Shout out to V. Wilson for upping your pledge. And Aisha Wright for upping. Mar Harden for upping and for paying for the year. Shout out to 
Madison for upping. And that is everyone. I know I said a lot of upping, but yes, like I said before, I'm changing the Patreon tiers around. There's some some changes afoot. Um, and so I appreciate all of you for, for sticking around and, and seeing what's really good on the Patreon this year. I appreciate you all so much. I'm sending so much energy of abundance and, and, and love and resources, material resources, child. Look, we, we need the coin. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So I'm speaking that over all of you all's lives as you share it with me. I say thank you, thank you, thank you. May you have all the resources that you need to do the work that you do. And may you be paid abundantly for your work and may you get paid for your rest too okay shit i ain't trying to worry all that <laughs> but thank you all so much shout out to everyone who hit me on the cash app as well and on the the venmo you know i appreciate all of y'all who sent me some coin i was i was in my feelings this past week so <laughs> y'all definitely <laughs> y'all was like girl don't feel that way and i appreciate it i do because um yeah, I was in my feelings. I'm gonna talk about it. I'm gonna talk about it later. I'm gonna talk about it later. Ooh, child. But again, thank you. And so some other ways that you can donate, of course, is just sharing the show, telling people about it, putting people on, tagging me, being like, yo, I love a little juju podcast, putting your neighbor on, putting your friends on at the spiritual shop at the botanica, whatever it is. I appreciate all of you who you know, be be sharing the good juju gospel with other people. It, it really means a lot to me. And that's how that's how the community grows. That's how we grow. That's how we learn together. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, and also let me say, um, this isn't necessarily donations, but I do want to shout out everyone who reaches out to me who was like, hey, want to collab for Black History Month? Hey, want to, you know, come speak in my school? Hey, want to, you know, talk to my job or whatever? Like, those things matter, too. Those things also help me, you know, pay my bills. <laughs> those things are, that's my work now. It's this entrepreneur vibes you know sometimes it's up and sometimes it's not so when I always get little requests to come speak or be on panels and I love panels especially paid ones <laughs> um, I always feel so warm and happy and, and extremely extremely grateful over everything so appreciate y'all for for reaching out in that capacity as well all you need is a little juju Okay, so let's get into our little-known Black history fact. Now, I think this is little-known. It was little-known to me, so it's giving little-known. <laughs> I want to talk about cowrie shells. And for folks who don't know, cowrie shells are like the egg-shaped shells that are kind of toothed around the edges. They're kind of round on one side, and they have that slit opening on the other side. You have probably seen cowrie shells, if you're Black, child at least on TV, but everywhere. They're at the beauty supply store now. People put them in their hair. I put them in my hair. There's so much cowrie shell jewelry. I have cowrie shells all on my wrist uh, bracelets and, and my anklets. Like I said, I put them in my hair. They're big for adornments. They're all over in clothes and stuff. I'm sure cowrie shells were all through Black is King. I can't remember, but a lot of like, quote unquote, I guess African inspired or a lot of Black aesthetics tend to gravitate towards cowrie shells because they represent abundance in a lot of West African cultures. And so cowrie shells are like, just kind of, a, I feel like a staple now in, in, in Black culture. Um, aesthetically and also spiritually as well. 
So, you know, the girls love Calvary shows. I love Calvary shows. And I also think as I was doing research with this, I was reminded that Calvary shells are also like we're living beings. Like they are a type of mollusk, <laughs> like basically snail looking things. I don't know. Like I-, I just wanted to add that. Like, you know, we just see them as like little adornment things or things we may use in divination um, to speak to spirits or or in our hair. But like it was once a whole ass being that lived in the water (laughs) like I don't know why that kind of blew my mind it shouldn't have blown my mind but I was like wow it said it was an animal but anyway so what I saw interesting was that so Shema um hey what's up Shema if you're listening Shema had tagged me in something on Instagram and she tagged me to the page know your Caribbean and know your Caribbean made a post about Calvary shows. And the first line of Know Your Caribbean's post is, Calvary shows are not from Africa, but from the Indian Ocean. And I had to gay. So the caption states, Arab traders were probably the first to introduce the Calvary shell into West Africa, possibly as early as the 8th century. By the 15th century, the shells circulated as money, especially in the empire of Mali. Shout out to Mali. I got some I got some Mali ancestors. Gang, gang. The money spirits. But it is only with the Portuguese, French, British, and Dutch that Africa found itself under an avalanche of these shells. The Europeans had seen the fondness that certain African tribes had for the shells and helped to make them the main currency in the trade of enslaved gold, and many other goods. Between 1700 and 1850, an estimated 16 billion cowrie shells were brought from Asia to Africa to support the slave trade. Okay. So it says Dutch traders reported that African merchants in Dahomey, which is present-day Benin, who were unfamiliar with paper and writing, were highly suspicious of European promissory notes, checking them frequently to make sure that the writing hadn't disappeared, leaving them worthless scraps of paper. Similarly, European traders were at first wary of trading their manufactured goods for shells until they saw that cowries were widely accepted as money throughout the region. Um, and this is, there's there's links, there's quotes, this person cited their sources. And so I also did my own research about the cowrie shell and, and came across very similar information. Um and it's all the pages that this person was referring to, or at least Know Your Caribbean was referring to. And so what I took from that was that, again, cowries are not, I guess, indigenous to that land and are found in the Indian Ocean. So as early as the 8th century, as I said, Arab traders coming to um, West Africa and to the continent were using cowries as a form of purchasing, exchanging, bartering. And um, particularly in Mali and other places, our ancestors were like, okay, cool, we like these, we like these. But then the European traders, once they came in and started what we know now as slavery, chattel slavery and captivity, they started using cowrie shells. They brought cowrie shells as a way to trade and not just trade, but also as a way to buy and sell our ancestors. Okay, so 
the shell, the Europeans came over with their promissory notes or with their, you know, paper money. And Africans are like, um, what, what is, what is this? Like, we, what, what is this? Oh, we can't use this. And so there, because of the fondness, the cowrie shells, Europeans brought them over in mass. What, what was it? It was the Portuguese, the French, um, the British and Dutch. And, and, and mind you, again, um, Africans at the time and West Africans were accustomed to multiple forms of bartering and exchange and paying for things. It wasn't just cowries, but it was they had other like golds, foods, etc. But cowries became the most popular because they were being brought over in mass from colon by colonizers. Um, and because of their refusal, Africans refusal to accept the promissory note, that's how cowries really got their popularity. Um, and so they they were it started to be seen as like a really, really popular form of money. Like <laughs> I think for me, as I was doing my research, I saw uh, a story of it was a it was a slave narrative, and the enslaved person talked about being sold for like a bag of calories. And oh, there it is. Yep, I wanted to. I want to read it to you all. So this is just. I need to find exactly what this is a screenshot from. But what it says is, um, here I first saw and tasted cocoa nuts, which I thought superior to any nut I had ever tasted before. And the trees, which were loaded, were also interspersed among the houses, which had commodious shades adjoining and were in the same manner as ours, the insides being neatly plastered and whitewashed. Here I also saw and tasted for the first time sugarcane. Their money consisted of little white shells, the size of the fingernail. They are known in this country by the name Kor or Kore. I was sold here for 172 of them by a merchant who lived and bought me there. So, yeah, by the 18th century, the cowrie had become the currency of choice along the trade routes of West Africa. It It conserved its status as a means of payment and a symbol of wealth and power until the 20th century. The shells have been integrated in spiritual practices and incorporated into clothing and jewelry. Symbolically, they were often associated with notions of womanhood, fertility, birth, and wealth. Now, this shook the table because a lot of people in the comments were like, um, how does that explain for Ifa? A lot of Ifa folks were popping up like, we divine with cowrie shells. We have an indigenous religion. This religion is thousands of years old, which means that cowries are thousands of years old, which means that no, no Arab traders brought them over. No Europeans didn't, blah, 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 blah. I, I, this, this. I don't know. I love calories. I'm attracted to calories. A lot of people are attracted to calorie shells because of their symbol symbolizing abundance and they're also cute. And that and divining with them for divination. In a lot of spiritual traditions, people use calorie shells to divine. For them to have this history of not being necessarily innate to West Africa and actually having been brought by traders and more specifically popularized and brought over in mass by colonizers 
I just feel ways. Like I feel ways, and and it's and of course I'm sure people could dispute or not, you know. And I'm not here to say what's right or wrong, but I think that it all could be true. I think that that's not to say that a cowrie shell never t- touched West Africa until an Arab trader brought bought it. But what if that was kind of true? But okay, let's go. If it didn't. Um, and it came, and our ancestors took a liking to it. And then when Europeans came over, they were like, oh, they like these shells. Let's bring a whole bunch over, and we can start, you know, getting real getting real nasty and dangerous with it, which they were and did. So the fact that our ancestors were sold and bought with this thing that we see and associate with abundance... And the fact that it has such a a strong history, it's not just an easy, clean-cut history, as people think. It's just a little bit, it just makes you think. It just made me think. And when I read that, it really shook the table for me personally. And, I, you know, I still like Calvary shells. I'm going to still use them. It's still part of my traditions, et cetera. So that's fine. I just think that... The shell also has like blood on its on its. There's like blood on the shell, but there's also healing on the shell. So like, what does that mean? And and how we think about these tools that we use and what we adorn our bodies in, knowing the history, if it changes anything. So I'll be curious, you know, if y'all want to tweet me or or message on no, don't don't message on Instagram, but. You can comment or something on under a post for this episode. But I just want to know how that sits with y'all. If it changes anything for you, if you've always loved calories and you feel away, if you've never liked calories and feel away, I will, of course, leave um, the research that I found in the show notes. Of course, I know I always do my research and, and let y'all do it for yourself. So feel free to look things up. But I just wanted to talk about that kind of black history fact and just highlight something that I think is really important in black culture and talk about its its origins, potential origins and roots. So I hope you all enjoyed that. All you need is a little juju. Okay, now that our world is shook from knowing the history of Cowboy Jones, <laughs> just kidding. I want to get into our black spiritualist our black mystic of the month that is none other than miss pixie aka pamela coleman i hope that everyone doesn't know who pamela coleman is already i hope that y'all are learning something but if you do know who pamela coleman is i'll bet that you're probably a tarot a tarot reader one of the tarot girls because she is the artist behind one of the most not one of the most popular and used tarot deck to date, which is the Rider Waite tarot deck. If you know anything about tarot, you have probably seen the Rider Waite deck. I don't have that deck, but I've been read by that deck. My friends who read tarot have that deck. It's just kind of the one that you see. It's like the OG deck, pretty much. A black woman drew it. And so I want to talk about her life and her story. I did know a black woman drew that deck, but I didn't know anything about her life. And so I did some research that I wanted to share with you also that she would be our black mystic of the month. So Pamela Coleman, she was born February 16th, 1878. Child, I sound 
And she died September 18th, 1951. When I was looking at her born date and death date, I was like, that seems like it was 100 years from each other. But that 18, people who were born in the 1800s, I'm just like, whoa. But no, she actually just died in her 70s, so she wasn't super old. Um, she was a she was a British. Shout out to my my UK babes who listen. My UK blokes. Uh, she's a British artist, illustrator, writer, publisher, and occultist. Um, again, right? She she was the creator, the designer. Sorry, the artist behind the Rider Waite deck, which is seventy eight cards. The girl drew seventy eight cards. So she was born in London. Uh, she traveled to the U.S. a lot, as well as Jamaica. Her mother was a Jamaican woman. Her father was. I actually believe her father was British, but um, her parents, they had a little coin, so they would travel a lot. Her father would get jobs, different places, et cetera. So she kind of came back and forth between, or traveled back and forth between Jamaica, London, and uh, the U.S., uh, New York specifically. Um, Speaking of New York, she studied at the Pratt Institute in 1893, and she studied art there by like... I forgot the guy's name, but he was like a really popular artist or whatever. So she studied illustrating and art and and, and started painting and doing her works there. Um, She didn't end up graduating from the Pratt Institute because her mother passed away in 1896 while in Jamaica. And then she also became very ill around that time as well. Um, And so... And then her father died in 1899. So Smith, Pamela Smith, she had a condition. It's a neurological condition. It's called synesthesia. Um, It's an automatic visual experience activated by sound in her case. So she talks about her understanding of synesthesia, which is, um, it's like when you, when you hear music and you see images, like you can see music. And I think a lot of people have talked about being able to see, um, when they hear sound, they see images that pop up. I think a lot of artists experience that, but because this is a, has a specific name and it's labeled under a neurological condition, I'm going to assume that it's just not the things that maybe some artists maybe feel or or see when they hear music, but that this was like a very intense visual experience that she was having every time she heard music. She said about or one of her paintings, what I wish to make plain is that these are not pictures of the music, but just what I see when I hear music. Thoughts loosened and set free by the spell of sound. Subconscious energy lives in them all. Okay, so she's giving us a cult. (laughs) She's definitely describing this experience as something that is a spiritual experience. And of course, you know, we can get into neurological conditions sometimes, oftentimes, sometimes bleeding in with spiritual experiences and conditions and the ways that we categorize them tend to lean towards um, conditions or mental illnesses or mental conditions when, you know, it could be a spiritual experience. But that's how she explains it, as as a spiritual experience. So she returned to England um, and she, she lived a lot of her life actually in England. Majority of her life wasn't in England. And she did theater design and illustrating. So at this time, she's like really starting to paint a lot. She's really starting to create, get into her art bag, 
you know, she didn't finish Pratt Institute, but she had, she already has skills and she's already seeing things that happen when she listens to music. And so she's been painting them out for a while. So she really starts to get into that and start and takes up work in that area. So she actually wrote, she started writing books. So in 1899, she wrote, she, she wrote a book about Anansi. She wrote Jamaican folklore and she wrote a book called Chim Chim in 1905. It's called Chim Chim Folk Stories from Jamaica. So she wrote Jamaican versions of tales involving traditional African folk figures and lore. So uh, I loved this part. I did not know that about her, that she wrote about Jamaican folklore. I love that she has a book about Anansi the Spider. For those who don't know, we've talked about Anansi on the podcast, who is a very popular trickster spirit. Anansi the Spider, he tricks, he gets out of really funny, interesting situations. There's so many different Anansi stories. Um, and Anansi has traveled from from Ghana. The uh, Akan folks in, in Ghana is, is where Anansi is indigenous to. But we hear about Anansi in Gullah Geechee culture, Jamaican culture, Black American culture, everywhere. Anansi is still very much alive. I grew up being told Anansi stories. And so I love that she actually wrote lore, Jamaican folklore. Like, it's giving... It's giving like, I'm not going to say hoodoo vibes because she's like not black American, but it's giving like, I don't know. It's giving that. So I, I love that. So she also was an activist. We love when the girls get involved with the culture. Shout out to the artists who merge art and activism. It's giving activists. She supported the struggle for women's right to vote. Again, this is all in the UK. So she was like a suffrage. She was like one of the, in the suffrage movement. So she got together with a collective of other uh, professional illustrators and she contributed to a lot of the artwork to further the cause of women's suffrage in Great Britain. So she's not just writing lore. She's also draw- and drawing about uh, Jamaican lore. She's also drawing and contributing to the movements that are happening in the UK at the time in support of, of women's rights. So she also then, as she's doing that, she starts her own press company, which originally I was reading that it didn't do too well, but she kind of revamped it. And then um, she started a publishing company and they published novels, poems, fairy tales and folk tales until 1906. And she brought on a lot of women writers. She was able to do this again. She was a black woman in the UK, but she did have coin. Remember, she was born to parents who were... I saw language of wealthy and then I just saw language of like she just was she was she was comfortable. So she was able to kind of have access to this kind of thing to be able to start a whole production company. Right. Um, So at the age of 28, she approached Alfred Stigeltz, who was a, a famous gallery owner. And he exhibited photography in his art gallery. But Miss Pixie was like, did I say people call her Pixie earlier? Like, that's her nickname. Her nickname is, is Pixie. So Miss Pixie was like, um, I know that you, and she was probably like, well, I know that you only um, have photographs in your in your gallery, but I'm a painter and I would love for you to put my art in your, in your gallery. And... You know, he was like, Alfred was like, um, okay, let me help out this little, this little black girl. Child, he put, he exhibited her paintings. All of them got sold. Okay. So she clearly has the coin juju on her side. She got the money spirits. (laughs) 
So she's kind of growing in her being known. She's kind of making, she's on the scene. People know who she is. She's she's making a name for herself. And she's young. She's 28 at this time. So she wrote the folk tales. <laughs> I didn't say this when she was 21, I believe. So she's a young person doing, making moves, right? So eventually around this time, she she joins the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So this is, this was a, I'm not sure if they're still around. But it's a an organization that studies the occult. It's a secret society devoted to the study and practice of metaphysics, paranormal activities, etc. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was started by Freemasons. So if you think about, you know, Freemasons, um, Eastern stars, you know, it was very, it was like the UK version of Freemasonry. There were lodges. Um, that that's yeah, Freemasons are basically Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, just a little bit different, I'm sure. I don't know the ins and outs of these secret societies because I am not in them. But I did go on a date with a Freemason, like right before the pandemic started. He took me to uh, Fridays. I don't think we're supposed to have money, but anyway, it was cool though. But anyway, so she is a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So she's clearly joining organizations and societies to learn about the occult. She clearly believes in paranormal experiences, activities, and she's having them. Again, she, remember she describes her her neurological condition as really being a spiritual condition. So in the Hermetic Order, she met Waite, yes, of the Rider Waite Tarot deck. So in 1909... Uh, the occult scholar Waite actually paid Coleman a flat fee, okay, a flat fee to illustrate the 78 cards of the tarot. So, uh, you know, Waite had already published different books before embarking on a tarot project, but this was his first kind of project of this, of this magnitude. And so, she did it. She was paid her flat fee. I was looking so hard to see how much she would pay, was paid. I could not find it. If anyone has any texts on her, she has a book. There's a book about her life. So maybe that's in the book. I would love to know. I don't know why I want to know so bad. I want to know what that flat fee was for her to make this tarot deck. But I will say, oh, this part got me. I don't know. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional. I'm sensitive, y'all. But she wrote a letter to Stiglitz, Stiglitz, yes, Stiglitz, which was the photographer who became her friend who featured her work um, that got sold out. She wrote a letter to him after she finished the project. She said, I've just finished a big job for very little cash. <sighs> Again, this is the most popular tarot deck ever to this day it is 2021 she started this in 1909 okay she said i just finished a very big job for very little cash that is a quote so apart from the book illustration projects and tarot deck you know she 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 was making a name for herself and her community, but she didn't. She never really grew to extreme popularity, though she had a lot of people around her, friends who were um, quite popular and well-paid and, and well-known. 
she didn't she didn't get to commercial levels is what I should say. And even though this tarot deck is very popular now, at the time, it doesn't seem like it was a super big, um, you know, it wasn't as, obviously it wasn't as popular then as it is now. It grew in popularity. Um, so that wasn't like, she didn't, it wasn't her claim to fame. She didn't have a claim to fame. She was making a little name for herself. She was, she had a little, her name out there, but you know, she never really grew to commercial success as people around her. Um, but she did have work um, in different books. She did illustrate some somewhat popular books. I saw them and I was like, I don't know none of these books, but they probably are popular to people who study this kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. In 1911, she actually converted to Catholicism. And she converted to Catholicism. And then after the end of the First World War, she received an inheritance from an uncle that enabled her to lease a house on the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall, uh, which was an area that was popular for artists. So she actually established a vacation home. Child, she cleared, she came from some, some Cornish, but she, she built a vacation home for Catholic priests in a neighboring house. So she was getting paid off of the priests coming and vacationing at the house on the Lizard Peninsula in Cornwall. And her friend helped her run the house. So it was, I don't want to call it bed and breakfast, but it kind of gave that vibe. And that's how she paid her bills. Now, it says, after several years of financial difficulty, Smith, Smith left the Lizard and relocated first to Exeter in 1939 and then to booed in the early 1940s. So she continued writing and illustrating, but she really wasn't able to find people to publish her work. Um, I thought it was interesting that this, this my research was, was showing that she, her work being so romantic in nature, spiritual in nature, esoteric in nature, even just the way that she drew lines and stuff. You know, back then, if you're an art person or if you study in history, they didn't like the same things all the time. Like, it was cute to have romanticism. And then when you move out of that age, that's not what's in anymore. People like art that looks like this. So, of course, they left this little black woman in the dust. She struggled financially. And essentially, y'all, she died broke. She died broke. She died in her apartment alone. And her possessions were auctioned off to pay her debts. She did not die with money. She was buried in an unmarked grave, probably in St. Michael's Cemetery in Bude. The location of her gravesite is unknown. A tragic, it was like such an up and then a down and then a down. It reminded me of so many, not just spiritualists, but just black artists, Black scholars, Zora Neale Hurston, like so many of our greats that we uplift, that we thank, that we look up to, died seemingly alone and broke, even after have, having contributed so much to our culture, so much to our collective historical knowledge so much to our spiritual traditions and understandings 
the woman who create who designed and drew the most popular tarot deck to date died not just broke but also I'm saying her name here because a lot of people do not know or do not know this information. I knew that a black woman drew the Rider Waite deck. I didn't know her story. I didn't know anything about her. I just knew a black woman did. I didn't know her name until I did my research today. And so I'm sure that means that a lot of people do not know her name. For one of the most popular, the most, not one of popular, widely distributed tarot decks to date. It is 2021. She did this in 1909. And she said she just did a big job for very little cash. So she probably knew how how big this work was and was going to be and how popular it was going to be. She clearly had sight. She clearly had some kind of clairvoyance is what I'll call it, gift. I'm sure she saw. And she also saw that people wouldn't know her name. I want us to make sure that we are giving our flowers to the people who are imprinting the culture as we are alive right now. And getting to a little bit of what I wanted to talk about earlier, um, I've been feeling very jaded. I've been feeling very tired. I've been feeling someone, someone on Twitter told me as a compliment, um, they said, you know, you carry a community on your back, Juju, like you carry a community on your back. Like you're, you're amazing. And I received that as a compliment. And, and for a second, I, I received that as flattering. But after I moved through feeling flattered for two seconds, I felt exhausted and I felt tired. And I felt, um, I felt, I felt, you know, underappreciated in a lot of ways. I did. And I did. Like, I, and I do. And, you know, I don't let. AHA radio nominations, because really that don't do not anything. It just it sounds cute. You know what I mean? It, not like anyone pays you for that. You don't get paid more because of that. Like <laughs> um, or even just the kindness that I receive that I appreciate and need to hear. Whew, need to hear. But when I hear stories like this, when I when I look to Zora Neale Hurston, who was like Queen, the Queen. Knowing that she died broken alone. And then I read about Pamela, Miss Pixie. And she died broken alone. Even though she had her little moment of being up. Zora Neale Hurst had her little moment of being up. I was like, oh God, this shit is scary. What matters more? Like, Giving people their flowers while they're here, or does it matter more that after our people die, we realize the impact that they made, and then you know, in fifty 
60, 100 years from now, people say your name. You know, what if, what if, what if, and I don't even plan on, I've been feeling like this and I just decided to talk about Pamela Coleman. When I got to her story, I felt emotional as hell because I'm like, it, it's, it's so interesting to be in the middle of like knowing that you're making an impact because people tell you and then it not always being reflected in how you feel about yourself or even your material conditions. You know what I'm trying to say? Like what like Pamela Coleman carries people on her back. People use her art to be able to divine and help people's lives every day. Zora Neale Hurston art and work and writing carries people on its back. But what about their back? And so I think I just been sitting recently with like, what about my back? Which is why I, I I switched my patrons up, which is why I did all of that, you know. And I really don't need mean to make this moment about me, but I'm just using my personal story to say that this is the, this is relevant to all people that impact you, not just spiritualists, but artists, but researchers, but teachers, but whatever, give people, give black people, give black women their flowers while they are still alive. Say the names of the black people and the black women, because I'm naming black women right now, that have impacted your life. Pay the black people and the black women that have impacted and are impacting your life. This is, this is the, this is the, this is why, because we have the stories of our elders to be like, oh my God, they did so much and, and died with so little. I just, I'm afraid. Like, I don't want any of my peers, anyone doing this work, anyone that I look up to, anyone that I value to, in 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 80 years, someone finds a, a letter or a text message from them to one of their friends saying, I did something so big for, for, for so little, for very little cash. I don't want any of us to say that. So I'm making it my duty for the people that I learn from, that I listen to, that I give to, to pour into them, you know, and pay them and tell them, but also pay them. I don't want any any of us to have done good work and to die broken alone. That doesn't make sense. And then people get to benefit from your work for years and years and years and years and years to come. So I will continue to say the name of Pamela Coleman, Miss Pixie. And I'm so grateful for her work. I'm so grateful for her art for her illustrations, for her journey. And we can take to learn a lot from her story and the story of so many of our elders and our black women elders. So I would say if you're an artist or you're a, a tarot reader, to to just say what's up to her if you're a spiritualist, if you're a medium. Just give her, you know, a nod. You know, we can't visit her grave. We don't know where it is. She didn't even get, she didn't even get a, a headstone. Um, 
But we can keep her in our hearts and in our minds. And particularly when you see a Rider Waite deck. I'm going to start calling it the Miss Pixie deck. <laughs> Fuck a Rider Waite deck. It's Miss Pixie's deck. Okay? Ooh, I didn't plan on getting emotional, child. But anyway, that is that is the story of whew, Pamela Pixie Coleman, illustrator and divine Intuit, a divine intuitive illustrator of the Rider Waite tarot deck, the most widely used and distributed tarot deck to date. So I hope you all enjoyed that little known black history fact. Well, would you look at that? I'm glad I didn't say today was a mini so child because <laughs> it's not giving mini, but I appreciate you all so much for tuning in to an episode of AOJ Pod. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on my website, www.itsjujubae.com. That's a place for all kinds of business inquiries, reaching out, collabs, brand sponsorships, podcast sponsorships, all of that. You can find me there. Also, if you want to find me on social media, you can find me at, at itsjujubae. It's Juju Bay on Instagram. And you can follow the podcast page at a little Juju Podcast, spelled out just like it's sounds on the gram as well twitter i'm at it's juju bay but i feel like i'm about to deactivate don't tell nobody but i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know (laughs) but i appreciate y'all have a wonderful blessed black history month black futures month we learn from the past to inform our present to um to to give clarity to our future big sankofa energy appreciate y'all and remember all you need is a little juju. Pay black healers. Later.